Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you want can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This episode is the first of two recorded live at the recent MK3D show at the BFI South Bank in London. Next week, we're going to hear from Vinette Robinson and Jason Fleming talking about their amazing new single shot feature, Boiling Point. And we'll hear from Lucy Darwin and Miriam Margulies about their road movie, Driving Miss Margulies. But this week, my guests are writer and critic Eleni Jones, who's also my co-host on the forthcoming new Radio 4 programme, Screenshot, and one of my favourite actors of all time, the incredible Kate Dickey. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a front row seat at MK3D, recorded live at the BFI South Bank. Uh, good evening, everybody. Look, it's an absolutely packed house. How fabulous to see you all here. Um, it seems like only a couple of weeks ago that we were on stage doing the last show, and that's because it was only a couple of weeks ago that we were on stage doing it. It just it kind of works out as to wherever it falls in the month, whether it's early in the month or later in the month. Now, we have a hugely packed show tonight, uh, as opposed to last time when we had a hugely packed show. Um, so I'm going to move straight on because there's an awful lot to get through and I'm very, very excited um, about all of it. I'm going to start by showing you a trailer for a film which is out this Friday. It played at the London Film Festival and then I'm going to bring our first guest on. So here we go. You left your father here alone. You left him here because of her. You're only here now because she's dead. You know place talking about my wife. And you've no place here. You can go. I don't even know to this place. It's a far way out west. Breathing space, Mr. Black. Just that, right? The old cottage. That's your home now. It's just me and you, Blackstone. It's just me and you. Something's haunting you, Mr. Black. I can see it. You'd always pull back to what you know. You can't help but follow your blood. So here's the thing. It's a great, it's a great trailer. It's a really, really creepy film. And you all probably know I'm a big horror film uh, fan. But I saw that trailer, and the thing that jumped out for me is Kate Dickey's in it, right? Because I loved Kate Dickey in Red Road. I loved her in Under Gods. I loved her for, for those in peril. I loved her in this. And 
I have been asking Kate Dickey to come on this show, and I am not kidding, because I look back through my messages, for five years. <laughs> so, I don't know whether she's got something against me, but she's finally here. Ladies and gentlemen, Kate Dickey. <laughs> I am reminded of the time that I found myself in a room with Liza Minnelli and I was interviewing her and I asked her a question and I couldn't believe that she was there and as she was answering the question, I reached down, poked her to make, to make sure it was actually really her. Kate, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. Oh, How the hell are you? I'm good and I'm so pleased to be finally here. It's true, Mark's been inviting me for a while and I've not been able to make it so it's a delight to be here tonight. Thank Let's you. start by uh, just saying a few words about Shepherd. very very creepy horror film. I have said there's a moment in it very early on when the main protagonist gets on a boat to a remote island and you're the driving the boat and I'm thinking if I was him I would get off the boat now. <laughs> So tell us about the film and how you know how you got involved in it. So Russell Owen, the director, had approached me with a script, um, and I. So Shepherd's like a a kind of study of grief and mental health and things like that, guilt and a lot of psychological. Um, stuff and Fisher, my character, actually, it was a hard character to play because. Russell and I spent quite a while trying to find where we would pitch her. I tried a really cheery and friendly, and then I tried a really angry, and actually what we ended up finding was this kind of almost neutral, kind of odd, lacking in any emotion sort of character. And she's a kind of, um, like a reflection of, of, of uh, Tom's mind in the film. So it was a tricky part to play, actually. So you take him over there, and then there's a couple of times when you hear him on the phone, and in one of the early phone conversations, you say something to the effect of, oh, well, you know, you've lost the plot already, because the whole thing is that being on the island, being, you know, with the lighthouse that doesn't work. Yeah. So you become essentially the voice in his head, the voice of the thing that is driving him yeah, to madness. Yeah, I really am. And that's why it was quite hard to find the right tone to suit his mind. Um, but yeah, I'm like almost, it's ambiguous whether Fisher is real, yeah. not real, whether she's a figment of his mind, whether she's a kind of manifestation of his guilt and, and mental health. So yeah, she was really interesting to play. It's a very cold film in terms of the climate of the film. And when I was watching it, I did that thing. Sometimes if you watch a film and it's working, you start to feel the climate of the movie. I found myself putting a coat on indoors, <laughs> thinking, oh no, I'm, I'm warm in my house. It's only, what was, what was it, was it as bleak as it looked? Yeah, I mean, Mull, it was bleak. Mull's beautiful. If you get a chance to go to Mull, it's beautiful, beautiful island, but it was bleak and the, and the landscape <laughs> becomes another character really in yeah, the movie, yeah. as you say. And it was, it's remote and bleak and it was windy and oh, the crew and, Everyone worked so hard to make that movie and wrangle this film in the middle of nowhere, basically. Are you doing all your own boat work? <laughs> yes, it's on my CV. <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of, well, I kind of hung on a thing and there was a driver there and I kind of did a bit of that. 
Do you like horror films? No, I don't watch them. <laughs> this, is, this is the thing, right? I can't even hear a bar of scary music and I'm up off my seat and I'm out the door. And this has got a very, very disturbing score. It's got a really disturbing score and I watched that on my own and the GFT at a screen and literally like that. Because I don't want... I can be in horrors, but I can't, I can't watch them. I watched Censor, actually, recently. Did you love it? I loved it. And I thought, OK, I'm going to try and get a bit braver with the horror. Because you're in The Witch, or as they write it on the poster, The Vavitch. For some reason, I don't, which is one of the creepiest movies I've seen. I my, went with my son to see it, who I have brought up to love horror films. And he was completely wigged out by it, in a very good way, but he was yeah. like really, really wigged out. Tell me about working on that film. Oh, that was incredible. I mean, we, again, I always end up in the middle of nowhere, but I was, we were in the middle of nowhere in Canada, um, and we had a week's rehearsal, and Rob said, I just want us to build a family as tight as we can be so we can literally decimate them so we, we spent a week getting our family really tight and the kids running to us and cuddles and then we you know we brought out the horror and the kids were running away from us um but yeah our robs <laughs> and 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 so ellie was really small for her age the twins so yeah. ellie was actually nearly 11 but tiny but lucas was actually six and he was just like kicking Robert in the groin being like, when do we start the play, you know? <laughs> so we had this kind of wee ragtaggle family out there and oh, it was brilliant working with Rob. That's another example of a film, which it's a horror film, but like this, it's a psychological horror for a long part of it, it, you think that everything could be in their mind, even the idea of the scary goat, yeah. but it's all, it all, it's all psychological, it's not like, a, you know, like, a, like an obvious supernatural story. Yeah, that's right, and, and I like what I like about them as well, and I'm, well as I say, I don't watch horror, but I really don't like You've been in a few. <laughs> I can be in them, <laughs> um, but I don't like the slash and the jumps and all that, and what I like about Shepherd or The Witch or that is the, the old-fashioned craft of building suspense and stretching out your tension and things like that rather than just relying on blood and guts and stuff. What's it like doing that on set? Because obviously when you're on set of a movie, whether it's a location or whatever, do you do you feel any sense of the fear that you're generating? Because obviously you know, you, you're, you're acting, but then there's somebody there with a clapperboard and somebody there with a camera. It must be very hard to get into the mindset of the atmosphere of an eerie, chilling film while you're actually making it. Yeah, it can be. I mean, I think luckily when you're working in locations like, you know, we did in Shepherd or in The Witch, where you're actually, I mean, in The Witch we had to do, like, bear things. I'm, I'm doing this, I don't know if so I'll explain that, sorry. <laughs> Strange hand movement. We had to do these bear things where we would, if we saw a bear, we were to run and let off this, like, rocket, and then we were all to run to a point. We didn't see a bear in the end, but... I was hoping to. Were there a lot of bears around? There were bears in the woods and wolves and stuff, so we had to have this whole thing, whereas if we were attacked by a wolf or a bear, we ran to this special thing and let off this rocket. Is that a like, usual oh, safety procedure on a film in case of being attacked by a bear or no, a wolf? No, And I got really excited because I really wanted to see wolves and I never, but, um, yeah. On yeah. the upside, you're still alive, so, I'm you know. Still alive. <laughs> so, but... When you're making it, do you ever feel scared? Because you don't like to watch it, but when you're making it, do you ever feel creeped out? 
Well, I tend to like to get into character quite deeply, so... Um, Are you method? Do you have a, what, a Meisner or whatever it is? Or? Not method to the point I'll go home at night and be in character with my family, but I do like to sort of immerse myself. I use a lot of music and uh, I make playlists and I use paintings, street photography, lots of visuals and stuff to sort of get into character. So... I do like to go deep, but I'm not kind of going home at night and kind of, you know, yeah. dressing as a Puritan and stuff like that. Because <laughs> I'll say this, I think this is one of the... And I, you know how much of a fan I am. I've seen you in... I think I've seen every film you've ever made. Some of them have been brilliant, some of them not so great. You have never been anything less than 100%. And I think the best thing about your work on screen, I have never seen you not be good, even if the film you're in is just okay. It looks like you commit to every single role. Well, I think um, that's very kind. Thank you. I, I think um, the important thing is if you take on a role, it should be because you want to do the role and not because, like, oh, I've got a job, you know. Yeah. So for me, it's really important to take roles on that I genuinely want, I believe in, that okay. I want to tell their story, that I'll... I'll give everything to them, you know. I think it's really... I think that's your job as an actor, is to tell the best story you can in the best way you can and be as committed as possible. Can I take you right back to Red Road? Yeah. Which... Because um, I was in Cannes when Red Road played, and obviously it's a you know, huge part of, of your career. Tell us about what the experience... We're going to have, we have a clip from Red Road, which I'll show in, the moment, in, in a moment, but... How did Red Road come about, and why was it such an important film for you? Oh, Red Road, I mean, it was, it was like a, a lucky accident or something. I think Andre had been looking for Jackie for about a year. Sandra Arnold. Yeah, Andre Arnold, the director, and she... Oh, God, I can't say enough amazing, amazing things about her. She's incredible and taught me so much for my first film. I had no idea. I'd done a bit of telly, and I'd done a short film. I didn't have a clue. And most of that shoot was her going, less, 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 less. You know, because I'd come from the theatre and I was doing theatre acting and she taught me about how a look or a whisper on screen is as big as, you know, mm -hmm. sort of projecting. And, oh, Jackie was just a, a gift of a part. I didn't even know at the time that it was quite unusual for women to play leads, you know, like a, a lead like that. And um, oh, it was just the most amazing script. And to be in every scene and work with Andrea and work with Tony Curran, it was a joy. I just kind of jumped into it. I had no idea. And, you know, I knew it was going to be quite full on in bits. And Tony and I had went to drama school together, so we just made a pact at the yeah, beginning, yeah. right, we're going to go for this, really go for it, and we trust each other. And Because of what you said about less, 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 and how a look can be uh, more important than anything you say, which is really useful, because the clip I'm about to show is you in the control room, because just for, I assume a lot of people will have seen it, but if they haven't, your job is that you're running surveillance cameras mm -hmm. around the Red Road Estate. Mm -hmm. And we're just going to see a clip. And there is almost no dialogue except for you on the phone, but it is all to do with you looking, with you watching screens, with you. Yeah. And it's it's a perfect example of how you say everything, not through what you say, but yeah. what, how the look is. So let's have a look. Is this 24-hour locksmiths? Do you have someone called Clyde Henderson working for you? Did you do a police check on him? Doesn't matter who I am. 
This is the city I control room. Ambulance needed on the Bermulloch estate, Kirkland Drive. It's urgent, please hurry. It looks like a stabbing, a young girl. The girls responsible are cutting through the flats at the back of Kirkland Drive. There's several girls, white, aged about 14, look like they're from the Peters Hill School. Okay, I'm here. The atmosphere of that scene is so intense, and I remember seeing it in Cannes when everything's cranked up anyway. And it was, it is, a, it's a really, really powerfully atmospheric film, and it's all to do with suggestion. So was it, filming it, was it a, a fulfilling experience? Oh, it was so fulfilling, and yeah, we just, it was like three weeks, we shot it in 21 days, I think, and wow. it was just in every day, six days a week. And, oh, that scene, because she's so busy, she gets obsessed with this guy from her past and she starts following him on the CCTV monitors. But while she's watching him, she that misses. girl gets yeah. stabbed and I'm supposed to be watching out for that. So, yeah, it's a really interesting story, actually. And a sad, sad character of, you know, again, someone really lost in grief. And How was it being in Cannes with that <laughs> So... Can right? That was the first time I saw the film. Was it? The, oh wow! Was with two and a half thousand people in the the La Lumiere, and I ended up watching the film like that. Oh god, it was terrifying. And and before I went, I was so green, and my family said, "Oh, I said, oh, we're going to Cannes." And Andrea said, we're in competition. I was like, is that good? <laughs> she said, yeah, kind of. <laughs> so then my boyfriend said, like, should we come? And I was like, no, it's just, it's just a film festival, says me. And I got there and it was like... <laughs> and it became the hot ticket. Oh, it absolutely it was became the hot ticket film. The most terrifying experience of my life. And then we got to premiere and I just took fright. So I said, Andrea and her partner came to get me and I went, I'm not going. I'm just, I'm just going to wait in my room and I'm not going to come. And she was like, no, you have to come. No, no, I can't. And it ended up with my fingers around the door jam. And I wouldn't leave and they had to prize every finger off. Because I was like, I just took total fright and I thought this is like a bit bigger than just a film festival. Wow. Well, it, in a way that is the best way to do can is going oh. in not really understanding because the madness of it. I, I, I can't. It's mad. I mean even as a journalist I can't go because I can't, I can't take the level of intensity of it so heaven knows what it's like actually having oh, a film. And, and I've never done a interview before and it was like three days from 10 in the morning to 6 at night. Here's China, here's Russia, here's Japan, here's... And I had no train and I had no idea what I was doing. And they were all saying, what's it like to have real sex for a film? And I was like, no, it's acting. <laughs> because the same year, Nine Songs, a film Michael called... Michael Winterbottom, yeah. I haven't seen it, but they seemingly had real sex. So, I knew it was a compliment to Red Road, they thought it was real sex, but that is all I get asked for. And I was in absolute panic, thinking, oh my God, people think I'm in a porn, people think I'm in a porn. So, oh my God. 
it was <laughs> it was wild. And then they came to do the hair and makeup. Never had hair and makeup done in my life. I did my hair for them coming. Right? <laughs> so they turned up and I'm already, and they were like, "We're here to do your hair and makeup." I was like, oh, "I've done it." I said, "You can just go." <laughs> oh, honestly, oh my God, I was so green. But it was a great experience, and it was, um, it, yeah, it was, it was, it was like nothing I'd ever been to in my life. Well, listen, I'm going to leap forward, and since you said green, I'm going to leap forward to Green Knight, which I, I, I loved Green Knight. I was so bowled over by it. Oh. I'm going to show a clip. Uh, this is obviously uh, adapted from uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, um, and which I had read when I was at college. Oh, and did I, you? Yeah, but I have to say, you know, the poem, I'm sure it's brilliant, but I read it at college, so I don't really get it. And then I saw the film, and I absolutely loved it. And then I read Simon Amstel's, uh, Simon Armitage's, uh, Simon Amstel, Simon Armitage's translation as well. But this is a clip from the beginning of uh, The Green Knight, in which your character becomes possessed effectively by the plot of the film and the, again I think this is a brilliant scene and I love the film but this is one of my favourite scenes in it Oh greatest of kings indulge me in this friendly Christmas game let whichever of your knights is boldest of blood and wildest of hearts step forth take up arms and try with honour to land a blow against me whomsoever nicks me shall lay claim to this my arm. Its glory and riches shall be thine. But... thy champ must bind himself to this. Should he land a blow, then one year and yuletide hence, he must seek me out yonder, to the green chapel, six nights to the north. He shall find me there and bend a knee and let me strike him in return. Be it a scratch on the check or a cut in the throat, I will return what was given to me, and then in trust and friendship we shall part. Who then? Who is willing to engage with me? It's such a fabulous film. Was it fun? Oh, it was great fun, and David Lowry is a joy to work with. And Sean and I had worked together in things before. He was great to work with. And Ralph again. And then the costumes were, like, incredible. Mine had all these, like, all those things were hand-sewn on. Yeah. It was a beautiful job to do. Um, yeah, and it was interesting playing them later in life and kind of elderly and... You know, um, there's a bit in the film that's quite ambiguous, but there's an empty chair beside Sean, and that was actually Lancelot's been where he's been away now because we had the affair and yeah. stuff. So there's lots of little subtle things there that, you know, if you keep watching, you catch. But I actually, because I don't watch a lot of my own stuff because it just freaks me out. It's very good, you should watch it. But my friend, well, I did actually. My friend made me watch it last weekend, and I thought it was great. I just loved it, like because I just don't. I just find it really hard. But because I'm in it so little, I find it okay to watch. And uh, I was like, oh, I haven't. Well, I've ruined it a wee bit, but not too much. And um, I thought it was beautiful, yeah. and the, just all the imagery and the cinematography is incredible. Those aerial shots and. 
yeah, I thought it was before. I thought it was absolutely stunning yeah. and, uh, and and you are brilliant in it and Aww. it's but it's it is such a such a visionary film it's one of my favorites of the year and I absolutely loved it um, I just want to ask you about one other thing for those in peril which I thought was a terrific film and I know that you liked it and we're both big fans of gorgeous George Mackay who is <sighs> such a sweetheart he's just gorgeous George was 20 when we made that film and he was just beautiful he was beautiful in it he's amazing in that film isn't he yeah he really is and it's a study it's basically a film about um, so I play the mother and George is my son and basically he's the only survivor of this fishing boat accident so he goes out in this fishing boat we hit with my other son and six other men and he's the only one that comes back and then the village kind of turn against us and they see him as this bad omen and he basically starts uh, really struggling with his mental health and it's just this beautiful performance about mental health and grief and a, a kind of common theme of yeah. my films basically <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's he's amazing. I love to work with him. I mean, I'm going to ask you a closing thing. I'm going to ask you this honestly, but no names, no pack drill. You you choose your projects really well, and is there anything that you've made? And I'm not asking you to name it. If there is, is there anything that you've made that you think I wish I hadn't done that? Um, let me think. I think there's a couple of things that I thought, oh, they've maybe not worked out as well in the final cut as maybe the script had been. Okay. But I try and I try and be careful, and it's not about it being like, oh, I think it's going to be a really big film, a really successful. I just try and I've just got this thing about telling stories on the periphery, or wanting to tell stories that maybe that aren't the popular ones, or. I just think everyone's got a right to sit at home and go, oh, there's my life, you know? Even people that aren't having good lives or, or popular lives or pretty lives. Um, so I try and choose quite carefully that way, but there is a couple along the way that I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I think, I think your choices of movies have been brilliant. As I said, I'm, I am so glad to have you here because you are genuinely one of my favourite actors. And, I'm, and I have been asking you for five years. So thank you so much. Please continue to make great choices. The great Kate Dishon. Thank you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. 
Now, uh, as you may or may not have noticed, uh, there's this new uh, radio program coming to Radio 4 very, very soon. Uh, that's me uh, looking really old. And this is Eleni Jones, with whom I'm co-presenting this. This is called Screenshot. This starts on BBC4 on December the... Radio 4. What did I say? BBC, BBC Radio 4. Technically, yeah. I'm an old man. I don't know anything. Nick's involved in it, and December the 3rd. That's the bunny. Um, so we asked Ellen if she would come on and choose a couple of guilty pleasures, and ladies and gentlemen, they are very guilty. Ellen E. Jones. Hello. Should we start with a plug? Ellen, what can people expect <laughs> yes, from our fabulous new Radio 4 show? Just uh, the best possible guide, with the best possible guides, to That's the expanding good. universe of all things screen storytelling. Was that the off the cuff? Yeah, man. That was really, <laughs> that was really good. Okay, I asked you to choose a couple of guilty pleasures, and I was actually surprised by both choices. Um, I'm going to let you lead into the first of them, and then I'm going to ask you to explain yourself. Well. This whole guilty pleasure thing kind of irritates me a little bit. I know. Um, because <laughs> We're gonna get at, like really all well right-thinking people, um, I don't feel guilty about my pleasures. I'm quite sh I live my life shamelessly, you know. I think you should either not do the things you're ashamed of or not be ashamed of the things you do, and I choose the latter often. <laughs> I'd just like to say that I feel guilty about absolutely everything. <laughs> the only two emotions I really understand are guilt and regret. <laughs> so... <laughs> that being said, I kind of my first thought was something like Calamity Jane, but I just love that film. I don't feel guilty yeah. about it. Um, something kind of cheesy and cute. And then I thought, what do I? What really actually does make me feel guilty? And this is the films of S. Craig Zala. Uh, these films, I, I feel bad even talking about them. I feel bad subjecting you lovely people to them. The room is on your side. <laughs> I just find them hugely entertaining. Okay. And, I, and I, I'm basically coming to you as a kind of high priest of sort of grindhouse grots for absolution, seeking yeah. absolution. Please yeah. tell me this is okay. Yeah, it's perfectly okay, because they are both very, very gnarly choices. Um, let's begin with a clip uh, from uh, Brawl in Cellbook, which is the great, the great Vince Vaughan... <laughs> Doing, here's the thing about this clip. It's been a long time since Swingers, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, it has. <laughs> but, but he's wearing it so well. Um, the thing about this clip is this. 90% of what's going on in this clip is the sound effects. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the Three Stooges, but it's the sound effects. You don't actually see what you think you're seeing, but you hear it. Okay, here we go. Thomas, show us ten fingers and we'll shoot. Just lost your minimum freedom. 
going to 99. I agree with you. I think, I think it's a really great film. We had so much mail to the show when it came out saying, you won't believe how good. Yeah. How, how good it is. So what do you like about it? Oh, God. I mean, I, I need to apologise some more before I can even... Okay, fine, fine, fine. I forgot to warn everyone about the racism and the sexism. <laughs> it's just, like, all of his films... Are, I mean, you don't see the sexism so much in because there aren't any women hardly in the film at all. But, um, like... It's often, as a critic, you kind of get to separate yourself from that because you get to think, oh, it's just a character, you know. But in his films as well, they do seem to endorse the kind of racism and sexism characters. It's so icky, and it's just like it's totally anathema to my politics. I'm really sorry, but but it's so entertaining. There's such great hard-boiled just crime yeah. thriller narratives, and I love the way that scene is shot in particular. I love the way he shoots those fight scenes. There's no like fast cuts, like it's typically yeah, yeah. the way you shoot a fast scene. You get to sort of you know, part of that is just so that you're totally subjected to all the bone crunching and you don't get to look away. But also that I love the sort of lumbering, middle-aged physicality of it as well. Like it's just, it's just, uh, I think there, there, there is, when you say it's, you know, it, it, that whole thing about how hard-boiled it is, it is one of those films, I do think the sound, the sound effects is doing so mm. much of the lifting work, but it is one of those films in which you remember that screen violence can be hugely entertaining. <laughs> and you heard everyone kind of wincing, but laughing at the same time. Yeah. There was a kind of pleasure in the room, particularly at the, the, the yeah. you know, all that stuff. Yeah, it, and that's why I kind of sidestepped your question about uh, what is it I like about it, because I don't want to admit that that's maybe what I like about it. Okay. <laughs> well, in that case, should we show a clip from your second choice, yeah. which I think is equally problematic in a very different <laughs> way? <laughs> in, a, in a very... <laughs> Yeah. Tell us about Dragged Across Concrete. Oh, God. So, well, it's got Mel Gibson in it, for a start. Um, and, um, I how's, do... he, how's, he, how's he doing recently? Oh, God. He's, I mean, I kind of love the fact that, that uh, uh, S. Craig Zyler is really kind of trolling sort of feminazi film critics like me who are like, you know, got a bit of a stick-up bum about people like this. But... Um, He's, um, so it's, it's the, the, this is a, a, a film where you're asked to really sympathise with two racist, uh, brutal cops who beat people up and uh, sexually harass women and are just horrible pieces of work, basically. Okay. I love the, the clip, the clip we're going to watch, the clip we're going to watch is particularly entertaining, not least because for me it reminds me of pretty much every experience I had in a packed cinema because just as Gibson finds himself sitting next to Vince Vaughan in this clip, <laughs> I would always find myself sitting next to this person in a cinema. I go. am that person in the cinema. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Amen. I've been listening to and smelling that for the last 98 minutes. That's part of a stakeout. Other than when it ends? Is when you're eating. A single red ant could have eaten it faster. I've actually, I've actually got a pret hummus wrap in my bag. <laughs> I should have brought it on stage, shouldn't I? And we could have... What I love about that is you see so many films in which people are supposed to be eating. And obviously, if you shoot a scene like five or six times or whatever it is, you know, you, they just pretend they cut things up, they move <laughs> things around, they hold the food. He is eating like I've never seen anyone... And enjoying. Else, and enjoying. And you know that that's probably take ten, <laughs> yeah. and he's just going the full... The full much. So, Oscar, see? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so when you say you don't feel any form of guilt about those at all, but when you've talked about them, you said but that all these things are wrong with them and all these things are sort of problematic. Yeah. So... Is it something that you enjoy? 
Oh, yeah. No, I do feel guilty about these. Okay. I don't feel guilty about anything else. Okay, but you do this, feel this guilty about these. This is a genuine these. guilty okay. pleasure, yeah. And does that, as a critic, and you're yeah. a brilliant critic, do, are you conflicted in that at all, or do you...? Hugely conflicted. And maybe that is part of what's so compelling about it. Like, I, 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 as I say, this, the whole sort of politics of it is like... He's, he's been called, like, MAGA America's favourite filmmaker and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, it, it's just, like, the opposite of, of who I am. But they're just... So, <laughs> what's, they're what's just really well-made crime thrillers. That's part of it. And I also think, like, for me, he's kind of telling... He's giving me the story of these kind of old blokes who think the world's conspiring against them and, like, you know, PC's gone mad and all that kind of stuff. And I'm kind of interested in that insight. I mean, you could argue that all of cinema is doing that, but <laughs> it, particularly, like, he's kind of giving us an insight. Just say, the thing I love particularly about this picture, OK, you just want to go... Just shave your head, man. Just sh <laughs> stop pretending with the ponytail. You're bald. Just shave it. You know what? That's another thing I do kind of admire about that, that. That clip reminds me a bit of Tarantino, with the obvious difference that Tarantino, the dialogue's all kind of smart and pop culture referencing, and they're trying to be cool, and he's just not trying to be cool nope. either. And nope. I thought, and that kind of makes it more cool, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when we asked you, did those two immediately leap to mind? Is that, or are there any other sort of skeletons in your closet? <laughs> uh, no, as I say, I'm, I live my life shamelessly, okay. with that exception. Well, I think they're really, really good choices, because I think they are genuinely guilty. I think yeah. people, if you haven't watched them, um, if you do watch them, you will find yourself going, oh, my word, that really is, that is a little bit beyond the pale. Yeah. So thank you for properly, and I mean this as a compliment, for properly lowering the tone of the evening. <laughs> Pleasure. Um, so our Radio 4 show screenshot starts on December the 3rd yes. on BBC Radio 4. Are, you, are we looking forward to it? We're really looking forward to it. <laughs> are we going to have rounds? Are you looking forward to it? I'm really excited okay. about it. I'm, really, I'm genuinely really excited about it, but partly because when we were doing the, 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 the uh, what do you call it, the tra not trailer, what do you pilot. call it? Pilot. I've got old man's brain. You are literally doing this show with somebody. You have to remind me who I am. Because we did have, we kind of recorded a bunch of discussions about things and it was very, you know, it was very sparky. The Richard. first conversation we had was a big row about Promising Young Woman. It was a big row about Promising Young Woman, which I liked and you didn't. Not so much. No. We'll but, talk about that another time. Yeah, okay. So anyway, it starts, it starts on radio for uh, the fabulous Ellen e. Jones. <laughs> Well, there we are. That's the first half of the most recent MK3D show recorded live at the BFI South Bank in London. My thanks to Kate Dickey and Eleni Jones. And you can hear the new show that I'm doing with Ellen, Screenshot on BBC Radio 4 from December the 3rd. On next week's show, Vinette Robinson and Jason Fleming tell us about their new film, Boiling Point, and we hear from Miriam Margulies and Lucy Darwin about their road movie, Driving Miss Margulies. Thanks for listening to this Kermit on Film podcast. If you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, tell your friends, and why not visit our Patreon page where there's loads of video extras. Join us next week for the second half of this MK3D live show, and if you like the sound of the live show and you want to come along in person, you can get tickets by going to the BFI website. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Keep watching the skies. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.